Hey, welcome to the Lyric House Church podcast. Our mission is to host a house for him. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our live service. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for details about upcoming events and information on our small groups that meet throughout the week. Thank you for being part of our broader community, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. It's so hard for me to get out of that place. God is so good. It's so fulfilling. So fulfilling. If you're seeking fulfillment in your life, open up his word and get in his word. For every one of these pages is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So fulfilling. You know, all week I was, I thought I had a message prepared and I was going back and forth and going to talk about several different things. And then I wake up this morning and he says, nope. <laughs> yeah. I said, okay. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Is where you're going to go today, Jason? I said, okay. So we're going to start in Ephesians. I'm going to start on verse 2. And I'm just going to kind of unpack from verse 2 down to 12. And Lisa, if you wouldn't mind helping me, do you mind? I didn't think you would. You like you like helping. <laughs> Ephesians four references unity in the body, in the body of Christ, as us being one in Christ. Is everybody there that has a Bible? Lisa, would you mind reading verse 2 for us? With all humility, forsaking self-righteousness and gentleness, maintaining self-control with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love. Meekness. Tenderness. It's the fabric of our makeup. It's how he's created us to be in him. Can you read the first couple words there again? With all humility, forsaking self-righteousness forsaking self-righteousness, laying ourselves down, putting him on. No longer it is, is it us, but it is him. It enables us to show compassion even in impossible situations. 
Has anyone experienced that? Been in an impossible situation, but then yet you're conscious in the situation, in the moment, to where instead of lashing out, you reframe and you are content in that moment with self-control. And then turn your heart and have compassion for the person or the individual or the situation. It used to be really hard for me to do. Really hard. Especially out on the construction job site. At work. God has done a mighty work in me, though. He's radically changed me. The old me has died, and I choose to put him on. We're able to, in those moments, bear with one another in an environment where love rules. Where love is the ruling factor. Go ahead and read verse 3. Make every effort to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace, each individual working together to make the whole successful. Oneness in the Spirit. That oneness is the contentment that we have. It is a treasure that's inside of each and every one of us. There's a treasure chest inside of us with this oneness with the Spirit. It's a bountiful treasure, a never-ending treasure that we have through the Spirit. And it encapsulates, how do you say that? Encompasses, that's a better word. It encompasses peace. It is an encompassing peace that resides in that treasure. Hey, Hayden, do you have that picture? Are there any carpenters in here? Anybody in here that knows carpentry? Dakota? So this is called a dovetail joint. It's the strongest joint there is in woodworking. You see how the joint is intertwined together? Do you have the other one, hey? No? The other one kind of showed you how it goes together. But the two pieces of wood become intertwined to where it's almost inseparable unless you just shattered apart, right? But that's how we are with the spirit. We're intertwined. We are inseparable. We're interlocked. Oh, baby, baby. Does that, does that make uh, any of the ladies in here want to have another baby? <laughs> yeah, we got a grandbaby coming. We do. 
Yeah. <laughs> twins? Who said that? Oh, yeah, your sister. I was thinking we were having grandbaby twins. I was like, that's news to me. <laughs> yeah. But there's only one body and one spirit. We are inseparable. Bye, Amanda. Have a great day. <laughs> and there's only one faith. It's not what we believe about God, but what God believes about us. Does that resonate? It's not what we believe about God. It's about what God believes about us. Our faith does not invent God. God's faith defines us. He's defined us. In the very beginning, we were with him. He defined us in the beginning of all creation. You've been defined by him. Jesus is what God believes. And that's what he believes about you. And that's how he sees you as his son. That's why he filled you with his spirit. He sealed you with his spirit. So no longer does he see the old you, but he sees the new you that is in Christ and with Christ and through Christ and all of Christ. Christ is everywhere. Is that amazing? That's amazing. For so many years growing up, I focused on myself and thought it was me that had to have the faith when all along it was his faith, his perfect faith at that that I carry, just didn't realize that I carried it. But now I know that I know I carry it through his word that he's shown me. Hmm. We've been incarnated in the flesh, so with his spirit. but in oneness. In John 1.33, John's baptism announces the incarnation with Christ, yet it, it communicates more a, a more prophetic picture of what Jesus' spirit baptism was fully interpreted of mankind's co-inclusion and joint immersion into his death, resurrection, and ascension. In dying our death... God would bring closure to every destructive mindset and futile fruit we inherited from Adam's fall. Just as he was raised out of the water in his baptism, we would be co-elevated together with him in his resurrection into newness of life. He intercepted human history by assuming human form. We were co-raised together with him through his resurrection. We co-died, we co-raised. All right, you wanna read four? Because that's where we were, right? Yeah. 
There is one body of believers and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when called to salvation. One body, one spirit. We bear the same name. We're called by his name. Go ahead and read five. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We were all baptized together through him, through his death and resurrection. We were all immersed together into death and raised again to new life. And oneness. Through one faith. Go ahead and, was that five? Yeah, yeah. that you read? Go ahead and read six. One God and Father of all of, what, wait, let's do that again. One God and Father of us all who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in all. There's only one God. Right? Do we agree there's only one God? He's the ultimate father of the universe, right? And we are because he is. Because he created us to be. He continues to hover over it all. He's here in and amongst each and every one of us. In every moment. He's not far away. In some far-off land, he's here. But he's also there. And then the word also says he's down there. He's, he's He's beneath, he's here, and he's there. Paul is basically saying there's this sweep of God's power that's universal, that's in everyone's lives. You just got to turn to him, believe it. Acts 17, 24 through 28. The creator of the universe is not far from each one of us. He's not. If we go to Acts 17, 24 through 28. In him, we live and move and have our being. The God who made the world and all things in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, 
though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, we also are his children. Say it there, Mike. It says, Our nature comes from him as translated from the Aramaic. The Greek is, We are his offspring. The Greek word is genos, which means kindred or family. We are taken from his genes. <laughs> That's so good. Who knows who the father of lies is? Who's the father of lies? Yeah. The, fathers of, the father of lies is not the father of the human race. In fact, he's so defeated, it's funny. He says he's a roaring lion with, basically with no teeth. He goes around roaring, but he doesn't have any teeth. <laughs> Toothless, roaring lion. Yeah. He's a defeated lion. The only way we allow him to come in and conquer us as if we allow him to come in and use our authority against us by handing it over to him. All right, let's go to seven. Yet grace, God's undeserved favor, was given to each of us, not discriminately, but in different ways, in proportion to the measure of Christ's rich and abundant gift. In Christ, we're all equally advantaged. There's no one greater than anybody else. We are the body. In fact, we are the body of Christ, so we are one with him. One measure, one worth, our individual value is defined by his gift, not by our performance. By his gift, his gift, not by our performance. Uh, it's kind of what you were saying earlier, Sierra. Let's go on to eight. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he bestowed gifts on men. See, this scripture here confirms that he arrested every possible threat there was towards you. Every possible threat. Every possible threat that has ever held you hostage in your mind he's led you cap he's set us free from ourselves he took captivity captive took captivity captive where do we captivate ourselves where do we hold ourselves captive in our minds right i'm not good enough i can't do this blah 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 blah, blah. all that junk we hold ourselves captive. We imprison ourselves. We put ourselves in a box to where we, we don't allow ourselves to step out in faith into the unknown through fear. Like a, 
captive box of fear. And in his resurrection, he led us as trophies in his triumphant procession on high. We are his trophies. We are his trophies. We are his treasure. And he's placed his treasure inside of his treasure, which is us. (laughs) His treasure, his Holy Spirit treasure is inside of us, but we are his treasure inside of him. It's the brilliance of God in human form (laughs) inside of us. this grace gift to us. That is grace. And in that verse, basically Paul is just declaring what he said in verse 7. The gift of Christ measures the extravagant dimensions of grace where everyone is equally advantaged. Man. Yeah, he is. You're right. Psalm 69:18 or 68. Yep. Which is actually 67 in the original tetrahedron. Uh, how do you say it? Uh, tetrahedron? No. What is it? Uh, I just learned this the other day. So that verse you're talking about is 67 in the sahedron. But then in the Hebrew text, it's 68. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you got to remember, he's also writing from prison. He's imprisoned when he's writing this. It's not, woe is me. I'm in chains. I'm in prison. I'm in prison. He is imprisoned in Christ. He knows who he is in Christ. He's not saying, well, pray for me, I'm in prison. Let's hop back up to Ephesians 4.1. Just read that for us real quick. So I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. (laughs) He's in prison. He is so intertwined with the Lord and the thoughts the consciousness of Christ that he doesn't reference himself except in that one little moment that he states that he's in prison. He's imprisoned in Christ, in Christ alone. His complete existence is in Christ, in Christ alone. Christ defines his existence. No longer is it him, but it is Christ. Now Romans 7 talks about us being unified in Christ. 
just speaking as a prisoner of Christ. Psalm 67. Let's go there. Who has it? Who would like to read it? No, let's go to the 67, uh, 18. I think it's 18 and 19. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> 68. Yeah. 67's got like seven verses or something. Nine. You have it? Can we? Did everybody hear that? Lisa, would you mind reading it as well? Through the microphone. This one's in the tra in the Passion Translation. He ascends into the heavenly heights, taking his many captured ones with him, leading him them in triumphal procession, and gifts were given to men, even the once rebellious, so that they may dwell with Yahweh. He's a father to the orphans, a protector of widows. God settles the lonely in a home, leading forth prisoners mightily. Also the stubborn, even them that dwell in the grave. Paul sees by revelation, revelation of Jesus. Jesus dying our death and entering into our darkness. He entered in to hell and set the captives free and brought them to new life. He was on a rescue mission to rescue all of humanity. He sees the captive mankind arrested in death and their descent into hell and the triumphant resurrection of the Word. And the Word became flesh and it dwelt among men. And then it ascended on high and then his Holy Spirit comes and it invades us. And then we're able to live in a place of comfort and peace and joy and rest inside of him being Christ conscious rather than flesh conscious, rather than being conscious of ourselves. Freedom. He took captivity captive. And what's that say to you? Like, I, I used to just hear this verse and I'd just read past it. You know, captivity, captive, you know. But let that really resonate. He took captivity captive. There's no longer any captivity. He took it captive. Yeah. Yeah, he took the chains. He locked the gates. Captivity is captive. It is locked. He has the keys to the locks. No longer are we captive. How about 2 uh, Corinthians 10.5? I can just read it. You don't have to look it up. 
We're destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sits itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish every act of disobedience when your own obedience as a church, which is us, the church body, when our own obedience is complete. You are looking only at the outward appearance of things. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, he should reflect and consider this, that just as he is Christ, so too are we. We were once taken captive by the spear, (laughs) but now we've been killed by the sword. What's the sword? The word. We've been killed. The old man was killed, and now we're raised to new life. Jesus made death a doorway into every dominion in which mankind was held prisoner. He led us out as trophies, as his treasure. He died, and then after two days, he revived us to new life. On the third day, we raised up with him. Just like in Hosea 6-2, we were born anew in his resurrection. If you go to 1 Peter 1, 3, and also Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, it refers to the same thing. It's not a coincidence. It's the truth. Let's go to James 1, 17 through 18. <sighs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Would you mind reading that, Lisa? Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadows or darkness and is never subject to change. God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation the favorite ones out of all of his creation. He calls you his favorite. He calls you his favorite. You're his favorite ones. Doesn't that make you feel good that God calls you his favorite? I'm his favorite. When he opens up his cell phone, I'm on a screensaver. He's like, there's my favorite son. Jason, but he says the same about you. I don't think we get that. I don't think that we, it really resonates with us that we're his favorite. Because if it did, we would walk differently. If it did, if if we understood what it meant that he created it all for us, 
that our thought process, our heart, everything would be different. It would look different. We would sound different. James 1 5 it says if you lack wisdom let him ask God for who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord he is double-minded unstable in all his ways a little bit further in James 1 20 said it says but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself and 24 says for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer and who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing and I feel like what the Lord is saying is a people that understand that they're his favorite and the people that are doers of the word that whenever I come up to a mirror I know that that's me I don't I don't question is that me did it, I change my hair color did my nose get bigger like I know that I look in a mirror that that is me and I know when I look at Christ that I'm his favorite and it includes being a doer of the word and so that means walking outside of these doors and living my life in a way that I represent his kingdom. Living my life in a way that when I, when I can't pay the bills, that I'm not freaked out, that, I, that I'm not wondering and we're not scattered, that whenever someone speaks against me, that I'm not quick to try to defend myself, that whenever my foot isn't healed, what it's going to be, whenever my foot isn't healed, that I, I don't sit back and cry and and forget that who he is, who he says he is. Or if you're sitting in prison like Paul. Yep. He never forgot. He didn't put his eyes on the situation. He kept his eyes on Christ and Christ alone. Because he knew that he was his favorite. You know, there's... Most of us, I'd say all of us in here, know the story of Christ being crucified. <clears throat> and then before that, Jesus talks to Peter and he says, Peter, yes, Lord, I'll do anything for you, Lord. What can I do? And Peter, full of determination, is looking at the Lord and the Lord says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, I would never do that, Lord. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And there's some of us in here, if not all of us, that have denied Christ in our lives at some point. And sure enough, 
three times Peter denies Christ and he runs and hides and he's ashamed feeling guilt and condemnation but throughout the New Testament we see John John God's beloved and John knew that he knew that he was loved by Jesus he knew that he was Jesus' favorite. Peter would always boast about the love that he had for Jesus. John boasted about the love that Jesus had for him. John stayed with Jesus all the way to the cross, the entire way never left him. In fact, he ran, went on to take care of his mom, Mary. We can wear the right t-shirts. We can have the right bumper stickers. We can even say the right things at certain times to make ourselves look good, look like a Christian. But do we know that we know that we know that we are truly loved and his favorite? And that that is who we are and who we've been created to be. Because in that place, there's freedom. In that place, there's freedom from the lies. There's freedom from captivity. There's a relationship, an unending relationship that's eternal. It's unending. That doesn't have consequences. It's full of love, peace, joy, kindness, meekness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness. He's a gentle, loving, kind father. And he's so faithful. totally got off my notes, which is a good thing though. It's good. I don't remember what verse we were on. Nine. I add something really quick. Please do. In James, I just jotted, I guess, I don't remember when it was, but I put study the face you were born with. And then James 24 says, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. And it's just a good reminder, you know, when we were born, we had our identity instilled in us. And then as soon as we start getting older and we start listening to the lies of the world instead of the word, we forget our face. And that's sad. I think alongside of that too is we like we we become Christians and most people when they become a Christian they they're just radically encountered you know most people I would say they fall in love and it's it's what we call first love and it's so fun to watch people to meet him for the first time and it's so fun to see them become Christians and I always want to like warn them <laughs> but I don't sometimes I don't know um, because it's 
although he is good and all, although he is always love and he is always solid, life is not always and it's not always sunshine and rainbows and life gets hard. And so we have this misbelief that if we are Christians, that we won't ever have a problem again. And then we all of a sudden run into a, a an, like we, we run into an issue and we're like, how could this have happened? I'm a Christian now. <laughs> um, and I think that we see from Paul's life that that's absolutely not the case, but we have joy in it. And just like he, when he was imprisoned, we have joy. But what, but what I was getting at was that like you were saying, Lisa, like we meet Jesus and we fall in this, this radical first love. And then, or just like when we see ourselves and then it just, life starts to happen and the world starts to, to get in the way. And all of a sudden we forget that so quickly. We forget so easily who he is and how much, how hard we fell for him. And everything that he is and all of a sudden it starts to become about us and it starts to become about what we need and even our callings and our giftings of God how are you going to use me God where do I fit in God what is my purpose in life and all the while he's saying the purpose was to be my daughter right so stay in that place of first love always remembering that that's where we belong always coming back to that place of first love. Okay. You want to read nine? Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had previously descended from the heights of heaven into the lower parts of the earth? And the fact that he ascended confirms his victorious descent into the deepest pits of human despair. In John three thirteen, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. All mankind originates from above. We are from above. We are his favorite. We've been with him since the beginning. We, he now occupies the ultimate rank of authority <laughs> from the lowest regions, from the depths of hell to the earth into heaven. He has authority over all, which means we have authority over all. What? You want to say something? Oh, please do. I really enjoy it. You should just come up here. It's because I'm not teaching or preaching this month, and so I'm like all of a sudden now I have something to say. Um, what I was thinking there is that, like, say it again. Read that verse again. Um, let's see. Is nine? No, that was. Read nine. Ten. Read he nine. Now occupy. Okay, go ahead. Can I read it in the Passion? Yeah, go ahead. Is that where you're reading, Lisa? Okay. He ascended means that he returned to heaven after he had first descended from the heights of heaven, even to the lower regions, namely the earth. The same one who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration of fulfillment 
of all things. And in the Aramaic, it says that he might fill all things. And so if God, if like you were saying, if God is there here and you know, you were below here and there, whatever you said, then we don't get to walk into a region. And I, and I've said this and, and I get it and people say it, um, but we don't get to walk into territory and region and be like, oh, this is the enemies. Like, I just feel the enemy here. And I know that that's why I didn't want to move to Holden. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't like it because like, it was like, oh, it just feels icky here. No. Like but this, we used to have that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the Lord's territory. Holden is for the Lord. Holden, Everywhere we go. Yeah. We carry his authority. Yeah. But he's called, and he's called people to carry that authority. Right. And so although, yes, the enemy may be uh, lurking and trying to pretend like he's powerful. The Lord's presence is here. And when we acknowledge that, we acknowledge that Holden belongs to Jesus. It looks differently. And it looks like this is God's territory. Psalms 139, 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is like the world of the dead, behold, you are there. <laughs> He's everywhere. We carry him. We carry him. You carry him. You carry him well. What God has in us is gift wrapped to the world. Some are commissioned to pioneer. Others are gifted prophetically. Some as announcers of good news. Some as shepherds with a real gift to care and nurture. And others have a gift to ignite instruction through revelation and knowledge. Go ahead and read 11. It's talking about your, your, your giftings. You're a good mic passer. And his gifts to the church were varied, and he himself appointed some as apostles, special messengers, representatives, some as prophets who speak a new message from God to the people, some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation, and some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide the instruct. And I read a quote by Rob Lacey, and he says, some are carriers or cur couriers, communicators, counselors, and coaches. But ultimately, we're like a bunch of sheepdogs running around hurting the people, you know, and bringing them into the church to the shepherd, which is Jesus. The good shepherd. Twelve. And verse 12 says, and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry as they do. This will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? Us. Us. Yep. And that's like, I feel like we, that's part of what we're doing is understanding that the kingdom that we live in, this this kingdom of Christianity is upside down. This is an, and God keeps saying that. I and mean, I keep asking questions. I'm like, why is it like this? And he says, Tiff, don't you know the kingdom is upside down? Anything that we do isn't gonna look the same as the world. And for some reason, the world wants to put 
leaders in the church on a pedestal. And for some reason, when we read these things like he's appointed some as, as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, we get this feeling of like, which one am I, God? Like, which one do you have me being? Which, which one do you appoint me to? And it's not what, what they're saying is we're servants unto the church. Like we're, we're doing the works of the ministry. If you're not prepared for that, if your heart isn't set on people, then don't, don't do any of it. Just stay home and sit out by the pool or something. I don't know, but like it's, it's unto people. It's unto the Lord. It's for the purpose of the saints and building the kingdom. To edify the saints. For the equipping of the unity of faith in the body so that we are all unified through his perfect faith and it says that later i don't know what verse but the 13 says these grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into one faith until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the son of god and finally, we become one into a perfect man with the full dimension of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. And then our right, immaturity will end, it says. So what is this? It's the Bible. I didn't make it up. Praise God. So it doesn't matter who you were before Christ. It doesn't. Your past does not define you. What matters is who you are in Christ. What matters is taking him with you into the territory, taking his presence with you wherever you go so his presence can spill over into the other people that you're impacting. Building and unifying the body in one faith. What matters is having a compassionate heart, Christ's compassionate heart for his sons and daughters so that they will come to know that they know that they are his favorite as well. There's so many of us out there that don't know that. I didn't know it for 32 years of my life. But that's, that's what drives us. That's the driving thing of the body is his compassion for his people so that they would know that they know who they are in Christ. Angelica, <laughs> I uh, you you mentioned you know not being the same after Jesus, and that we're not who we were before Him. And like for me, in my faith, I, I mean, I I accepted Jesus when I was seven, and you know I didn't I didn't really live you know like you know that you, you I always have felt this sort of like well I don't have such a great testimony to tell because you know before Jesus I didn't know how to spell my name <laughs> and so um but a few weeks ago um when I was leading in the women's group we were talking about the resurrection and um I'll get back to that but 
Um, yesterday, I was taking my son to go see his cousin for like the last day of school type celebration just for them to hang out and stuff and have fun because he's been asking to see him. And on the way there, I, I look at him in the mirror and he's like upset. And I was like, that's weird because when we left, he was pretty excited. And so I was like, are you all right? Do you not feel good? And he was like, I was just thinking about this thing that I said. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, never mind. I don't want to talk about it. I was like, are you sure? And he was like, <laughs> I was like, what's wrong, bud? And he was like, months ago, um, one of his other cousins came over and he said something mean to her and he brought it up. And I was like, well, why are you thinking about that right now? You know, I was like, what is this about? You know, like why today? And he's like, I don't know, but I just feel so bad about it and I'm upset about it. And um, I explained to him that he's forgiven that even she forgave him, you know, you said you were sorry and you meant it and you knew that it was wrong. And um, I was like, don't let the enemy t steal your joy today because of something you did, something you said. And um, in, the, in the class, the women's class, talking about resurrection, we, we um, talk about that story. And I feel like a lot of us just put it in the perspective of Jesus died and resurrected, but we died and resurrected. And I, I just remember saying like in that group that day about just remembering that it's not just who you were, you know, before Christ. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but just for me, like it, in my walk, it was always confusing when I heard people say that because I was like, well, I mean, I wasn't really anything before him. And um, then going, growing up and you just have to remember that every day you're resurrected with him every night, every moment, every time you just grasp those thoughts and bring yourself back to looking at him, looking at his face, that is when you are new. It's not, you know, a certain amount of time has passed or just that time when you accepted him. It's every day and every moment. And the enemy is coming. <laughs> I love what you said about the line because that's so funny, but um, the enemy is coming at you and he's just loud and obnoxious and he's trying to throw what you did or said to make you feel bad and steal your joy because it was going to be a joyous day for him and it turned out being that way and he had lots of fun but it was just like it was going to be such a fun time and the enemy was like I don't want you to have fun you know and, and just telling him and reminding him that and I just feel I just felt led to remind all of you listening that it's just every day you're new every day you're risen and the old is gone and, and dead his mercies are new each and every day but our compassion for the body for the believers for, for the unbelieving for the for anybody for the sons all creation Passion that Christ has for his, for his creation is the driving force, is the reason we get up and get out of bed in the morning. No longer is it our own agenda, but it's him and his agenda. That's what makes the church body come alive. That's what's ushering in the kingdom of heaven. It's not our agenda, our lifestyle. 
It's being compassionate for what he's compassionate about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Holden as it is in heaven. And not just Holden, but everywhere. Where darkness abounds, grace abounds much more. So, Father, we just thank you, we love you, we praise you, we magnify you, we glorify you, King Jesus. We thank you for a deeper revelation and what it truly means to be your favorite, to be called by you as a son, as your beloved, and who you are well pleased with. God, you're amazing. We're excited to be your sons. Father, as we go out through this week, out these doors, I thank you that we carry your compassion. The compassion for the people that are walking in this dying world, that they will know, that they know who they've been called to be as a favorite child of God. In your mighty name, we pray and believe. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.